0: glad to be here (laughs) i'm glad to be here today and uh let's let's turn to the the book of acts chapter two Uh, i'm gonna read verses 40 and 47 is everyone enjoying reading through the book of acts this month all right i love the book of acts and uh i'm gonna do my best to share some things that god has laid on my heart uh Oh, thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40. And with many other words did he, being Peter, testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, to, Every soul and many, sign, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I'm going to try to preach for the next few moments on the power of one. Let's worship God and pray with me. Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Thank you for everyone that's here. I thank you for everyone that's watching on, by way of the webcast, God. I pray that you'll put your words in my mouth, God. Let me get out of the way and just be a channel for your spirit and your unction to flow through. anoint our minds, our ears, our hearts, and our spirits to hear and to receive what your spirit is saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Some of you may be wondering why I have a can of Coca-Cola sitting up here on this. <laughs> I'm not going to drink it, but I bought it this morning because I want to... I, it used to say Coca-Cola Classic on the can. Does anybody know why it says Coca-Cola Classic? Because in April of 23rd of 1985... The Coca-Cola company took arguably the biggest risk in consumer goods history, announcing that it was changing the formula for the world's most popular soft drink, spawning consumer angst the likes of which no business has ever seen. The Coca-Cola company introduced reformulated Coca-Cola, often referred to as New Coke, marking the first formula change for the soda in 99 years. The company did not set out to create the firestorm of Consumer protests that ensued instead, the Coca-Cola company intended to re-energize its Coca-Cola brand and the cola category in its largest market, the United States. However, the experiment failed because everybody liked the taste of the original Coke. And so just 79 days later, on July the 11th of 1985, they reintroduced the original formula as Coca-Cola Classics. Now, I, I told that story because I was reading a book a few months ago by our uh, assistant general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, Brother Stan Gleason, called Follow the Lead. And in the preface, he, he makes a statement that, that it stuck with me and, and has kind of gnawed at me and haunted me the, the last few months. He says, and I quote, Jesus Christ, the founder of the church, left his followers with a purpose, a plan, and a product. Now, millenniums after the birth of the church, we must ask ourselves the hard questions. Are we accomplishing the vision of the founder? Are we employing the method he modeled to accomplish his desired purpose? And this is the one that really got me. Is the product that we're yielding identical to the original? When we are willing to ask these questions and are courageous enough to revisit the original blueprint of the mission he gave, only then can we discover whether the church is on task or if the plan has been altered. I've enjoyed reading the book of Acts, but it's also, there are scriptures that I, when I read, they bother me. Because when I read the book of Acts, I feel like in my Life that I'm missing something that they have. And I want it. I don't want to live beneath anything that God has for me. I want everything that He purchased with His own blood. I don't want to fall short of anything. You see, somewhere along the way, a formula, just like with Coca-Cola, the formula was changed for the church. A lot of people don't go by the original formula. And so a few years ago, I started when I got a burden to start a church in Norfolk, I started studying the book of Acts. Because if I, if I want to call myself apostolic, I don't want to just say I'm apostolic, but I want to be apostolic. And so there are some principles that I found here, mainly in verse 42, that if we want to be like, if we want what the first church had, we've got to do what the first church did. <laughs> all right? And so, now, and, and I want to preface this or clarify that I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this, I'm not trying to critique or say anything bad about Church of Omaha. I'm, when I say the church, I'm speaking as the church in general, Christian dumb. all right? I'm thankful that I am in an apostolic church, that, that, that we do try to live by what the apostles taught. What they believed and what they exemplified. So I just want to make that clarification. Uh, the first thing that you notice in verse 42. Now Peter give the context. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the birth of the church, and uh, Peter has just preached his uh, the the first message uh, after the Holy Ghost is poured out, and the and the the all the onlookers you know said, "What meaneth this?" And he you know. I've, I've preached on this before, about he quotes Joel. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Uh, and so they were pricked in their hearts, it says, and they said, Men and brethren, what must we do? And he answers them, verse 38, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remissions of your sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so after that, this is where we picked up with our... Our, message, our scripture reading today, they that gladly received his word were baptized and 3,000 were added to the church. In verse 42 it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. First thing, if we're going to be apostolic, we've got to follow the apostles' doctrine. All right. Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. I'm going to summarize for the sake of time. Beginning in verse 3 it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard them? Then in John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus, this is the Lord's prayer. This is the real Lord's Prayer, John uh, chapter 17. What we call the Lord's Prayer is really a model prayer. It's that disciples' prayer and our Father's Prayer. But this is the prayer that Jesus prayed his last night right before he was crucified. And in verse 20 he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So the apostles' doctrine is the only doctrine and the only teaching that has the prayers of Jesus behind it. So we must follow the apostles' doctrine. Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says that though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that which you have received, let him be accursed. So we have to preach what the apostles preached. And, that, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but as if you notice the, the messages that they summarize, they don't really preach kind of the way we preach. <laughs> they, they were kind of more in your face than we are, you know. <laughs> Peter said, you killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. They preached the gospel. They preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They preached that. They showed from the scriptures in the Old Testament that Jesus was the Christ, that he was crucified, but that he rose again, and that you better repent. (laughs) Because that's what the gospel is. Repentance, the baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So we must continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I'm thankful that we are in a church that teaches and preaches what the apostles preached. Amen? Now, the next thing it talks about is fellowship and breaking of bread. And I'm going to, to borrow a popular phrase these days, I'm going to circle back to that in a minute. And I'm going to skip on down to prayer. If you notice, as we're reading through the book of Acts, they did a lot of praying. When they were in trouble, they prayed. Peter was in jail, they prayed. Up until the night. It was we know it was nighttime said they were in the temple daily praying praising God and having favor. we must remember that the church began with a prayer meeting <laughs> the Pentecostal movement itself began with prayer meetings in Topeka, Kansas Charles Parham began he had a Bible if you don't know the story there was a Bible uh, school and he was teaching and for he gave his students an assignment and says what was the sign in the Bible of when someone received the Holy Ghost and they did a study, they, the, they all got together and they said, well, according to the book of Acts, when people received the Holy Ghost, the one consistent sign was they received, they started speaking in tongues. And so these students began to pray and seek for the Holy Ghost. And I believe it was on either New Year's Eve, I think it was January 1st of 1901, there was a lady, I believe her name was Agnes Goodman or Osmond, Agnes Osmond, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then a few years later, Charles Parham uh, met up with a man named William Seymour and taught him about the Holy Ghost. William Seymour went out to California to Los Angeles, went to a church, started preaching about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. They barred him from the church. He drove went all the way from Houston to Los Angeles to preach a revival they locked him out of the church, but some member of the church brought him into his house. I believe it's 212 Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. And they began praying and seeking for the Holy Ghost. And one day, there was a gentleman there. I believe he was a janitor. I don't remember his name. He had a headache. He asked Brother Seymour to pray for him. Brother Seymour laid hands on him. And he, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He began speaking in tongues. And then started a revival that lasted almost ten years, I believe. There were five or six years. But it started... With a prayer meeting, every great revival that there has ever been has always started with prayer meeting. So, we—if we want what the apostles had, if we want revival the way the apostles had, if we want the miracles, signs, and wonders—we are going to have to be people of prayer. I, uh, you know, they got this thing on your iPhone now—the screen time that you know it lets you know. You know, your screen time, and it usually goes off when I'm driving to church here on Sunday, and I didn't check it this week. But now I just found out here recently that you can, uh, you can click on that. Then you can see, like, where your screen time was, all right? And it's been pretty convicting of I me. Mean. John Piper, who was a well-known um, preacher and, and author, Christian author, he said this a few years ago, and it stuck with him. He says, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove in the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. You know, and speaking of Azusa Street that I just mentioned earlier, there were some prophecies that went forth at Azusa Street. And I heard about this years ago, and I, and I wrote it down because it's, it just goes along with what I said. It says, in the last days, there would be an overemphasis on praise to a God they no longer pray to. And this week, as I was praying and studying for this message, I was listening to another message that had nothing, really nothing to do with this. But he talked about, he was talking about when Jesus went into the temple and drove the money changers and overturned the tables and, and drove them out. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And God just quickened this to me. And it just really convicted me because he reminded me of the scripture that says, Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This church house is not the only place that should be a house of prayer. My body should be a house of prayer. I'm sorry, but I'm so hungry for a move of God. I'm thankful for everything that I've experienced. I'm thankful for the awesome moves of the Spirit that we've been having. But I believe, and I know Bishop Powell wants, that there is another realm. There is another dimension in the Holy Ghost, and I want it. I want it. Jesus, help us God. I heard a statement a few, about a month or so ago, that stuck with me, and this gentleman was referring to ministry. But it applies to just about everything when you think about it. He said, he said, not the only determining factor, but the single most determining factor to having a successful ministry, and you could apply this to anything, is hunger and desire. You know, I drove a little over two hours to get here today in some bad conditions and And I got stopped Wednesday night going home for church, pulled over. I was in my mind preaching this message and and didn't realize. And the cop pulled me over, and lucky God bless him, he just gave me a warning. I'm on a hot street here in Nebraska, and I thank God for that. He said, where are you coming from? He said, Omaha. And uh, he's like, what are you doing in Omaha? I said, going to church. He goes, you go to church in Omaha? I'm like, yeah. You know, some people they when they when we tell people that we drive this far to church, they think that's crazy. If I'm going to go to the church, I want to go where Jesus is. I want to go where there's life. I don't want a dead, dull, dry, boring church. I want to go to a church where the Spirit of God is. But I've been doing some studying about the church in China, and I've read where there's a certain church where... They have to meet in a cave, and they meet there from 4.30 to 6.30 every morning for prayer. Other churches that they meet for 12 hours, a four-hour sermon to them is short. They're so hungry for God. There was one pastor they asked to come preach, and they wanted him to preach from 8.30 in the morning to 7 o'clock at night for three days in a row. And he's like, well, what do you want me to preach on? They said everything from Genesis, because they don't have Bibles. I don't want to have to stand next to them people in judgment. God baptized me with a hunger and a desire for you, God. Hallelujah. The next thing that we look at in verse forty-two, it says that they had they continued in fellowship and in breaking of bread. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try to make this short. Oh God, we got to have apostolic doctrine we got to be people of prayer. But what I feel like was one of the greatest attributes of that first church that made them so powerful was their unity. They had fellowship in breaking of bread. Breaking of bread, they ate together. That's where we apostolics get that from. But it also is talking about communion. But if you look... If you look, Acts one fourteen Acts 2.1, Acts 2.46, Acts 4.24, Acts 5.12, it says they were all in one accord. Five times in the first five chapters, it says they were in one accord. The Greek word for one accord is homothumidon. I think that's how you pronounce it. It basically means unanimously with one accord and of one mind. It's a combination. It's a compound of two Greek words. The first one being homo meaning same. The last one thumos meaning passion. They had one passion. And that was to preach the gospel and to see sinners saved. (laughs) Pardon this carnal LSU reference. Football. But a few years ago LSU football was struggling so they fired their coach and they... They hired their current coach and he, he adopted this motto one team, one heartbeat. And I think if we could ever just become one church with one heartbeat, one church with one heartbeat. Brother Kennedy, you posted this scripture earlier this week Psalm 133 1 through 3. Yeah. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts and his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for the Lord there commanded the blessing, even life evermore. If we want the anointing of God, and if we want the blessings of God, we've got to have unity. We've got to have unity in our homes. We've got to have unity in our marriages. And we've got to have unity in the church. In John chapter 17, I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. In that prayer that he prayed, from verses 21 to 23, he could repeat least praise. I'm going to quote verse 21. That they all may be one as thou, Father, in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. End time revival depends upon our unity. It depends upon our unity, and God has convicted me because there are sometimes I say things, maybe post things on Facebook that that may cause disunity, and I'm and I'm trying to stay stay away from that. But if you look, if you go and, I, and when I started seeing this, it's in just about every letter of Paul, he deals with this issue because there was cultural. Uh, Differences that, that, that begin, that the enemy tried to use to create division. We read about it in, in chapter 6 and then you see it again in, in chapter 15. And there's a spirit in this world that's trying to cause division in our country, whether it's political or whatever it is, liberals, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, this, that. I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of it, but I want to be a, a person that creates, that, that fosters unity And then when I began to study this, I found that the key to unity, if we're going to have unity, then we have to have the love of God shed and brought in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Because when I love my brother, I'm not going to argue with him and I'm going to fight because I'm going to do what Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says. says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because there's only one body. Oh, Romans 12, Corinthians. There's only one body. We're the body of Christ. There can be no divisions or schisms in the body of Christ. we got to set aside our petty differences and our opinions and let the love of God flow through us. When Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. When you have love one to another, when the world sees me willing to lay down my life for my brother, then that's when they're going to be attracted to what we have. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this. And he laid out his life for his friends. He's our example. God, forgive me. Help me to do better. One scripture, First John says, if I, I want to I I read it because I don't want to misquote it. If I say I love God and I hate my brother, I am a liar. He that loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? I don't want to talk to talk. I want to walk to walk. I want the people to see Jesus in me. And the only way they're going to do it is when they see me loving my brother. Matthew 25. He said they are going to be pe- people that he's going to tell them depart from me. I was sick. You didn't come visit me. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was in prison. You didn't come visit me. And they're going to say, when? When did we not do these things? When you didn't do it to my brother. I'm all for helping the homeless and everybody else. I'm not preaching against that. But when Jesus called somebody their brother, he said, who are my brothers and sisters but those that do the will of God? We have to love one another. I'm coming to a close. We're fixing to have some people come up and give a testimony. We just went through Proverbs last month. And we, the purpose of Proverbs was to get us to answer, ask ourselves the question, is this wise? Unfortunately, I'm usually halfway through a meal before I remember that. Because if I'd have asked myself that question before I chose what I was eating, I probably wouldn't have eaten it. But we also must learn to ask this question. Paul says, whatever we do, do it to the glory of God. So whatever, whether I'm, whatever, it's on Facebook or whatever I'm doing, does it glorify God and does it edify the body? i got to start asking myself these questions. Is what I'm doing what I'm saying, does it glorify Him and does it build up my brother and sister? Because if it's not edifying, I don't need to be doing it. If it's going to cause harm or division in the body, I don't need to be saying it or doing it. I'm going to close with this before we have our, our, our brothers and sisters come up and testify. But it's, it's a poem that I came across years ago and it stuck with me. It's called A Builder or a Wrecker. It says, I watched them tearing the building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, Are these men skilled? And the men you'd hire if you had to build. He gave a laugh and said, No, indeed, just common labor is all I need. For I can easily wreck in a day or two What builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went on my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks through town content with the labor of tearing down? I want to follow this blueprint. God's given us a blueprint. He has got a What did you say? God's got a plan. It's marvelous, and I'm part of it. I want to stick to the plan. I don't want to be a person that's you know. I used to I used to work for a guy that tore tore down uh, old uh, cotton gins and barns and used reclaimed wood. All it takes is a strong back, but it takes. It takes skill and wisdom to be a builder. And I want to be a builder of the kingdom of God. I don't want to be tearing it down. With that, I want to I thank Brother uh, Terry and Sister Laura. They're going to come give their testimonies. And it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what God has so marvelously done in their lives.
1: I just wanna start out with letting you folks know why I look like this. I wonder that myself. Anyway, who's in charge here? And I say it's the Lord Jesus.
2: Well, I was brought up a Catholic and ever since I can remember I knew that Jesus was close. I didn't know what I should do with him, but I knew he was there. Since I was small, I read a little of the Bible, a little here and a little there. I remember reading the beginning of the book of Acts and coming to the scripture that states, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. I caught a fire from those words. And when I went to church next, I went up to the priest and I tugged on his robes and I pointed to those words and I asked if I could have that. He didn't say a word to me, but he looked as if, he looked to me as if I had grown another head I was probably about nine years old. I dropped the subject, but I never forgot the experience. Uh Thank you, Lord. This is many years later. My daughter was born on August 23rd, 1987. I took one breath and I heard quiet murmurings as my daughter was held, as my daughter was held out of my sight. So I began, a we began a three month journey with my daughter. Born with a rare skin disease called Epidermolysis Bullosa. (laughs) Jesus, help. (sighs) When we were sent home from a hospital the first time, I understood that her care was in my hands, (laughs) that all I was armed with to help her was little, and her end assured. I was given zero hope. 100 percent of babies with this disease died period. I sat on my bed with her laying before me a syringe in my hands that I was given to deflate her blisters because every time skin would contact skin a blister would appear. And as you know, babies don't exactly just lay still. They're moving constantly. her little legs would rub against each other, her arms touching everywhere. And every place she touched, and every place I would touch her, a blister would form. So I had this syringe in my hands. Um. She was laying before me, and I went about this process in a methodical way. I was trying to keep myself and, therefore, my emotions from truly seeing my daughter. I didn't want to get close to her. I didn't want to bond with her. And I heard the Lord at that point, and he gave me to understand that there were two directions I could choose to go, but only one where I would be able to say with assurance, I did everything I knew to do. I gave all. So I turned from trying to distract myself from seeing the problem. I allowed myself to bond with my daughter and I will never stop being thankful that I did. I saw Samantha. I loved her through the storm. I buried her. what we went through together was the beginning of my walk towards Jesus I had some experiences with Jesus in my life before this but now it became a more conscious effort to find him I remember sitting on a hilltop my grief still with me communing with the Lord and I asked him if I should become a Catholic again and he said no and then I asked if he wanted me to become a Buddhist (laughs) And I can't help thinking that he chuckled, no. (laughs) I was clueless, obviously, (laughs) but I kept my spiritual radar up. It was years after my daughter died before I found what I was looking for. But he led me, I followed, and eventually I found him. (laughs)
1: It was a while after that before uh, her and I got together. I grew up uh, in Colorado in a family that didn't really know how to love. We didn't have Jesus. And my father was was a very mean man. And my mother just never really showed any emotion at all, really. So... I kind of uh, grew up not knowing how to love and the older I got, the, uh, well, just experiences and stuff just uh, made me harder and harder and I, uh, you see me kind of on the edge of crying well, I went 25 years and never shed a tear, because I built a, this stone around my heart. And when I got out of the service, I was I was in Vietnam and I saw some things I never want to see again. And uh, so all that did was make the the shell a little harder. And I. I uh, joined a motorcycle club, and that's why you see these. I, w- I wore these. This jacket's probably older than most of the people in here, and these these shafts I've had since I was a uh, living on a ranch. Uh, I've had these things are probably 50 years old. They're well taken care of because I oiled them and took care of them. Anyway. Uh, I was a lot skinnier then, too. I, I don't, they don't fit so well anymore. My point is, uh, I grew up pretty, pretty hard. And that's no excuse. It's no excuse. We can never, never be so hard that the Lord can't take that away from us. I started taking that stuff off and I I told the pastor I was going to wear my colors but it seems like uh, I must have got rid of them a while back and uh, I don't know that I can throw this stuff away because it was pretty expensive what about it (laughs) but uh, you know I met my wife in 94 I believe All right. and I I can truthfully say that that's the second best thing that ever happened to me All right now. All right now. and the first best one was after her and I got married in 99 uh, we moved to the northwest because we had to get away from where I was at. I, I uh, had to get away from the crowd that I was around and the drugs that we were around and, right, right. and everything and decided to just get away from that, all of that. Moved to the Northwest and I was working in a church, changing out some lighting and stuff. I worked for an electrical company and we were changing out the lights and I could just feel this presence. <laughs> Every time I feel his presence, I want to cry. Because I remember where he brought me from. Amen. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, uh, I told somebody, I said, man, I got this weird feeling. On I don't know, don't know what it is. And this gentleman come by and he said, well, he said, we prayed over this building before we made a church out of it. And. That's just the presence of God that you feel in this building. And so, it opened up on Easter Sunday. And my wife and I attended there the day it opened. It was not a UPCI church. They were a Pentecostal church, but they uh, have a few different beliefs than we do. <laughs> but uh, we won't go into that. But... Uh, The point is, that is where I got saved. Uh, I, I, I just knew that I needed to change. And my wife and I attended there for a few years. And then we moved to Hood River, Oregon. And that's where we started going to the UPCI church. And we uh, we got involved there and stuff. And brother Danny, we used to drive uh, seventy miles one way to go to church. And people said we were crazy too. But anyway, um, we we attended church there for about ten years, and then we just got this this uh, word from the Lord that it was time to come home All right. and we are Hallelujah. we came to this church on Friday night We did, well uh, let me back up just a little bit we determined when we moved that we were going to find our church first and then we would find a house to live so we didn't have to drive so far to get there so we came to this church on a Friday night for a, I think it was a CGSL meeting or, oh, it's an E3 conference. That's right. And uh, when we walked in the door, it was there was that feeling again, that oh, that feeling of the spirit that was within this building. And I walked in the door, and there's a gentleman who has now moved to Houston, uh, Brother Everett. Uh, he come over and just give me a big hug and said, praise the Lord. And I said, hallelujah, I think I'm home. <laughs> and, and here we are. We're still here. Still here. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I pray that we will be here until the Lord comes. Yeah, thank, you. thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak.
0: Isn't God awesome? <laughs> is God now, I awesome? I admire
1: a man that will come to a church that drives that far in this kind of weather.
0: Amen. Next, I'm looking forward to hearing from Brother Kennedy.
3: Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. First of all, giving thanks to the head of my life, Jesus Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body. To Bishop Powell, a man after of God's own heart. Thanks for the opportunity to share. To Pastor Lucas and the entire pastoral staff, Pastor Danny and the, the rest of the, our pastors, and to my TCOO family. It's a blessing to be here, and I won't be before you long. Thank you, Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. At the age of 18 years old, I became extremely sick. It was in the month of October 1991. And during this time, there was many cases of the flu, and I had flu-like symptoms, so I was diagnosed with the flu. But I couldn't keep any food down, and I began losing a lot of weight. This carried on for two months, going back and forth and back and forth to the hospital. And like the woman with the issue of blood, my sickness grew worse, not better. I weighed 155 pounds before my illness, and dropped down to 87 pounds. My mom had enough by now and insisted that I be admitted into the hospital. While I was waiting to be admitted, I went into a coma. I stayed in a coma for two weeks. And when I came out the coma, I was laying on my deathbed, blind, paralyzed, and hearing damage in my left ear. The doctor ran more tests and found out that my true illness was spinal meningitis. I contracted it through food poisoning. It wasn't bad food, but someone purposely placed poison in my food. I spent a total of six months in the hospital. I accumulated over 80 spinal tabs. Doctors and everybody else told my mom, begin making funeral arrangements. They told her to prepare herself for the worst. But I had a praying mom. One doctor by the name of Dr. Clay came to visit me. He brought his fiance to meet me, kneel by my bed, and began to pray. He wanted so bad to see me get well, but nothing was working. He knew that it was out of his hand, and even though God blessed him to study, to be a doctor, there was nothing he could do. But he knew of a doctor who never lost a patient. He knew of a doctor who could do anything but fail. He knew of a doctor who rose with all power in his hand. So he began to pray, Dear Lord, be Kennedy, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Dear Lord, be Kennedy, Jehovah Rapha, the gods who heal, be his Yeshua Hamashiach, anointed to save. And then in my account, I witnessed living and not dying. I experienced healing from my deathbed, felt God power when Jesus brought me, delivered me out of that wheelchair. And I know for a fact that God is not dead with, done with me yet. Like the woman with the issue of blood. I came out, I reached out, and Jesus brought me out. So I testify to you on today. If you come out, if you reach out jesus will bring you out so come out from amongst men thinking men can solve your problem jesus is a problem solver come out from amongst men thinking man have the, the the answer jesus is the answer he's a way maker he'll make a way out of no way so come out and then reach out you may ask how do i reach out to jesus you reach out By being patient. Patience is a virtue. You reach out through prayer. There's power in prayer. You reach out through praise. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. So reach out. Then stand back and watch Jesus bring you out. Bringing you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Bringing you out of chaos. Into peace that surpasses all understanding. Bringing you out of defeat. Into victory. There's victory in Jesus' name. Yeah. Hallelujah. But my greatest experience, Bishop, during this encounter, is that Jesus gave me a forgiving heart so I could forgive the one who poisoned me. Acts 7, 54 through 60 talks about Stephen, one of the first deacon of the church. And as he was being persecuted, he asked the Lord to not charge his persecutors with that sin. Jesus taught me if Stephen could show some mercy in the midst of dying, I should be able to show some mercy in the midst of living. If Stephen could show some forgiveness in the midst of dying, I should be able to show some forgiveness in the midst of living. So I testify. When men say no, Jesus will say yes. I testify With men, it is impossible, but with Jesus, all things are possible. And when men say that your life is over, God will say you shall live and not die. So hold on to Jesus' unchanging hand and always strive to stay connected to to the source of our strength, which is Jesus, our Lord and God. Amen. Amen. Be blessed in Jesus' name.
0: That's my God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I would testify now, but I think I'm going to wait. But he he said something that struck a chord. I had a praying mom. <laughs> See, God, we got a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. But we can have you. Praise team, him. You can come on up. We can have unity in our diversity. That's what God wants. He said He's going to have, His church is going to be from every tribe, every kindred, every nation, and every tongue. We better learn how to get along here or we aren't going to be able to go over there. We're only going to do that through his, the doctrine, through prayer, through loving one another. Forgive, I'm glad you brought that up about forgiveness. One of the main tools that the enemy tries to use is to sow discord among the brethren. We talked about that last last month in Proverbs. Let's love one another. Let's stand. If If you're watching by way of webcast and you're going through a situation, we've given these testimonies to let you know that God can meet you wherever you're at today. Whatever your need is, He can supply it. He asked asked Sarah one time when he told her she was going to have a baby and she was 90 years old, and she laughed at him. And God said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? (laughs) You see, there is nothing too hard for Him. My Bible says, nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. And we sang about that name a while ago. That name that's above every name. When when Peter and them healed that lame man, they said it's through faith in this name that this man is healed. There's there's salvation in no other name. So if you, wherever you're at right now, if you'll call on the name of Jesus, I know He's going to meet your need. He's going to meet you where you're at. Whether you need healing, whether you need salvation, whether you need deliverance, whatever your need is, He's here to supply your need. Is there anybody here that needs prayer in the building today? God can meet your need where you're at. Hallelujah. Let's worship Him. Let's thank Him for what He's done in these testimonies, knowing that if He's done it for for Brother Kennedy, if He did it for Sister Laura and Brother Terry, He can do it for us. He can do it for you. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. But he is a respecter of principles. And if we'll call out to him in prayer, he will answer in Jesus' name. Let's worship him and seek him right now.